see you all uh, here today. I was reading about a young woman uh, who brought her fiance home uh, to meet her parents. And after dinner, uh, the father decided to find out a little more about the young man. And so he invited him into a study for a few minutes. And the father said to the young man, so what are your plans? And the young man said, well, I plan to be an Old Testament scholar. He says, hmm, Old Testament scholar. He's interesting. He said, what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in? You know, she's become uh, accustomed to that. And he said, I will study. I will study as much as I can and God will provide for us. That's interesting. He says, how do you plan to buy her an engagement ring such that she deserves? And he says, well, I will concentrate on my studies and God will provide for us. I'm making, cracking myself up before I even get to the budget line. He says, what about children? How will you provide for your children? And he says, don't worry, I'm going to study and God will provide for us. And the conversation went on like this for about an hour. And afterward, the mother kind of asked the husband, how did it go? And he says, well, the bad news is he has no job, no prospects, no real future. The good news is he thinks I'm God. Um, so, right. And that, that is kind of a, that's kind of a funny joke to me, I, probably because I'm a pastor and I envision Cheryl's parents have, having these thoughts, you know, but um, there is a profound uh, theological truth in, in this joke, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. And, and here's the profound theological truth. If God wills it, then God will provide for it. All right? If God wills it, if it's in God's will, then God will provide for it. Another way to say it is this. If it's God's will, then it's God's bill, right? And, and I, really, I really believe uh, that's true. Now, it's always interesting to see how God kind of pays the bill, if you will, how God brings his will uh, about. I remember a, a couple years ago, a buddy of mine in ministry, they were getting to do a renovation project. And a guy that the senior pastor of the church had never met and never known passed away and left this church $2 million right at the beginning of the renovation project. Now, at the time, we were starting our renovation project. So you can imagine how I felt hearing this story from this pastor, right? And to be honest with you, God, we, we've done our renovation project. We're right at the tail end of it. And God has, God has paid this bill in another way. He's provided it through the faithful giving of his people. That's how now is the time came about, through faithful giving of many, many people. But the point is is if it's God's will, then it's God's bill, and he's going to provide for it, and he's going to uh, take care of it. So with that being said, open your Bibles to Acts 12. This is a really interesting story. Uh, we're in this series on angels. Uh, this is a really interesting story about how God uh, brought about his will. And to be honest with you, uh, this story that we're going to study is more like the $2 million example than many, many people kind of uh, giving faithfully over the course of two years. This is more like the $2 million example, but I wanted to share kind of both sides of that coin because God doesn't always do it the $2 million way. So, some ways he, he does it through kind of faithful obedience, grinding it out and, the, and that sort of thing. But like I said, we've been in this series on angels and angels have a lot of uh, uh, roles that they play in God's kingdom. They protect, they bring God's messages. And what we're gonna see today is that angels help uh, to execute and bring about God's will. So angels are really intertwined with God's will in, in a powerful way. And this is a long story, and I thought about like setting part of it up and then reading it. Uh, but what I decided to do is I want to read you the whole story because I, I think that this is a really amazing uh, story about God's will. So Acts 12, uh, starting in verse 1. 
It was about that time that King Herod arrested some that belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met by the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring, intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church, you can underline this, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Don't you love the imagery of that? Angel appears, get up, get up, you know, but... Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing and what was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, uh, Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the, out, the door of the outside entrance. A servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran over without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door, right? You're out of your mind, they told her. When, they kept, when she kept on insisting it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking until they opened the door, let me in, you know, and saw him, and they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers, as you might imagine, as to what had become of Peter. And Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him. He cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. All right. Now, I want to kind of start out, I've kind of taught uh, a few of these ideas before, but I want to start out and have kind of a conversation together about the will of God. All right, pastorally, this is probably the number one thing, and it's not always phrased as a question about the will of God, but this is probably one of the number one questions that I get. What is the will of God for my life? Is, is what's happening to me the will of God? It seems pretty bad. Is it the will of God? What is the will of God? I get this question a lot. So I view that there are three forms of the will of God. The first is the stated will of God, all right? The stated will of God, and that is found in this book, the Bible, primarily. This is when God just says, or, and Jesus just says, this is right and this is wrong. Do this. Don't do this. This is the stated will of God. And sometimes uh, we have these battles in our head where it's like, man, you know, should I forgive this person that's wronged me? We think, well, I'm going to pray about that. You don't really need to pray about that. 
right? God says you should forgive, right? So this, this is the stated will of God. I remember several uh, years ago, if you want to pray that God helps you forgive, that's a really uh, a, a better prayer to pray. But God tells us we should forgive. I remember years ago, a guy came to me, this was probably a decade ago, and he said, man, my wife's not paying any attention to me. My marriage is in shambles. I'm thinking about having an affair. I said, oh, you really shouldn't have an, uh, an affair. That's a really bad idea. And he said, I'm going to pray about it. You don't need to pray about that, right? I know that's really weird for a pastor to say. You don't need to pray about that. Don't do it, right? God has been really clear about it. Don't do it. And I remember reading the story, having this feeling about the story of the Good Samaritan, where this guy has been beaten, bloodied on the side of the street. And the first people that come by are religious leaders, people like me. And they walk up and they see this guy beaten, bloodied, needing help. And here's what I picture. The text doesn't say this, but I picture the religious leaders like me going, I should pray for that guy. And, and the point of that story is, no, you don't need to pray in that moment. You need to be a good neighbor in that moment. Right? So there, are, there is this stated will of God where he just says, do this, don't do this, love your enemies, pray for those that persecute you, forgive, show grace, all of this stuff where he just kind of says this is what you should do. And our role in that is not even to think about it a ton, but instead to comply and be obedient. All right? And a huge part of that is knowing, knowing the stated will of God. It's knowing what this book says about what God and his son Jesus has commanded us to do and what he wants us to do. And but what I find is that most of us don't really disagree on this. Most of us understand that God has stated his will in a number of places. He's given us commands. He tells us how to live. Um, that's not really where the challenge is. The challenge is, is in the next two. So there's the stated will of God. There's the permissive will of God. All right, so stated will, and then there's the permissive will of God. This goes back, way back to the story of the garden where God creates the first man and the first woman, and they live in the garden with God, and they commit a sin. They commit the first sin. Um, they disobeyed the stated will of God, and the Bible says they introduced sin into the world. And that sin brought separation. That sin brought death. That sin introduced uh, disease and hardship in general. What that meant from Genesis 3 on, what it means is this, is that we live in a broken and fallen world. There are things that just happen in this world because sin has been introduced. Hardship, death, disease. These were never part of God's original plan. This was never part of God's original intention. His original plan and his original intention was that we would live forever in that garden. And so what we learn as we read the Bible is that these are not things that God has caused, but instead these are things that God permits. This is the permissive will of God. Think about the oldest story in your Bible is the story of Job, right? A lot of people believe that Job was actually even written before Genesis was written. Um, and, and the story of Job is Job was a righteous man. He was an honorable man. Uh, Satan comes to God and asks permission to take Job through a series of trials. And God permits that to happen. And the text, when you read Job, the text makes it really clear that Satan is causing all the problems for Job, right? It's Satan that's behind it in that particular story. But God is allowing it to happen for a variety of reasons. This is, again, God's permissive will, where God allows other people, or God allows Satan, or God allows a death and disease to affect somebody's life. None of these things were part of God's original plan for us, but God allows them to happen, all right? God's permissive will. The third thing is God's causal will, 
all right? God's causable, where God just kind of causes something to happen, all right? So you think about the original creation story. I think this is really kind of cool to think about, that at some point, um, God wanted fish, right? God wanted fish for his creation. And so he kind of pointed a finger, and with his voice, he said, let there be fish, and there was fish, right? At some point, God wanted dogs, and at some point, he's like, my creation should have dogs. So at some point, he's like, let there be dogs, and there was dogs. At some point, for some reason, God wanted cats. <laughs> I'm not one to question God, but you know, whatever, right? So at some point, God was like, let there be cats, and the world has never been the same, right? He wanted cats, and, and there was, there, just don't email me, okay? I'm, I'm, we had cats for many years. That cat despised me deeply. So, all right. Um, so this is God's causal will, where he just speaks and things come to be. He points and things come, uh, come to be. And it's God's causal will. And angels play a major role in this will of God. They carry out this message. They bring about God's will and God's desire. A few weeks ago, I told you the, story, the Christmas story where Joseph is engaged to be married to Mary and he finds out she's pregnant. He knows the baby's not his. So he's thinking about divorcing, divorcing her. God says, well, we can't have that. So he sends an angel to Joseph um, and, and says, do not divorce her. What's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God's causal will. Now, I'm, I'm going to kind of bring my hand down from heaven, and I'm going to keep something from happening or make something um, else happen. And I want you to see that you can see both of these wills of God in the story that I read for you. Uh, first of all, you can see God's permissive will in this story. It doesn't appear that God really wanted Peter in prison that that was Herod's doing. Herod had kind of tested the waters with the Jewish leaders uh, in, in the region, kind of tested the waters by killing James. And, and then when that was met with approval, he's like, well, I had to go for broke and I had to kill Peter too. And so he, he arrests Peter after all that. It doesn't appear uh, that God necessarily, that this wasn't God's causal will, but God does allow it to be done. God allows Peter to be arrested. And here, let me put this truth on the screen for you. God's permissive will can be frustrating. God's permissive will can be frustrating. And we don't have any evidence that Peter had these thoughts. But let me just ask you to surmise for a moment. How easy would it be for Peter to have these thoughts? God, I'm out here preaching for you. I, I love you. I want your glory known. I'm serving you. Why on earth are you allowing this to happen? Why on earth are you allowing me to be arrested? Have you ever had a thought like that before? It's church, it's okay. That man, I am a good person. I'm a good neighbor. God, I'm serving you. Why are you permitting this person to mistreat me? Why are you permitting this disease to influence and, and hurt my life? Why are you allowing this to happen? I know, God, you can step in and stop it. Why are you permitting it? God's permissive will can be frustrating. We also see in this text, though, God's causal will. God allows Peter to be arrested, but at some point, God wants Peter out of prison, and God sends an angel to bust his boy out of jail, right? Super cool story. It would be awesome to see that uh, the chains fall off his wrist. The angel leads him, tells him to put clothes on first, and then leads him out, right? And then the angel disappears. That at some point, God said, I allowed Herod to do this. Now it's done. My boy's getting out of prison, and, and he's going to keep on preaching. And here's what I want you to see. God's permissive will can be frustrating. God's causal will can be shocking, 
right? I want you to see this in the story that Peter goes to the house church. He knocks on the door. Rhoda recognizes his voice and goes and tells everyone, Peter's at the door. And look at what they see on the screen. Look at what they say. You're out of your mind, which is really interesting because in verse five, we see this. uh, Several verses before that, we see this. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Isn't this kind of an interesting insight into human nature? That Peter has been arrested, right, through God's permissive will. God's permitted that to happen. He's been arrested. The early church is praying for Peter probably to get out of jail. Peter does indeed get out of jail, and they're shocked by it. Because God's causal will can often be shocking. Uh, I've told you guys this story before, but um, those of you that have been around for a while know that um, we were waiting for our daughter Lila for about two years uh, to adopt her. And uh, it was a long, frustrating two years because we had waited for Sam for about nine months or so. And our, our attitude about that was everybody waits for a baby for nine months, right? So this is, this is not like a big deal, right? Um, and so we were waiting and waiting and waiting for two years. And we decided after much prayer to renew our home study and that whole thing. And one morning, Sam and I, my son Sam, uh, my seven-year-old, were out uh, at our house putting out Christmas decorations outside. And he had gotten cold, and he decided to come inside. So I'm out there by myself, and all of a sudden, little Sam comes walking up, and he's got my cell phone. And he says, it's mommy, and she says she really needs to talk to you. I was like, all right. So he hands me the phone, and Cheryl tells me that our daughter had been born the night before, and and that we were kind of insta-parents. And can I tell you something? Can I confess something? We were shocked. (laughs) We'd been praying for it. We'd been hoping for it. We'd been asking God for it. We'd been asking you to ask God for it. And when it happened, we were shocked, right? None of, our house wasn't ready at all, right? And we hadn't even planned that, that much for it. We, we were shocked because sometimes God's causal will can be shocking. You know, when you pray for someone to be healed, and they are, shock, right? We're shocked, right? When you pray for something good to happen and, and it does, it's shocking. God's causal will is often shocking. But here's what I want you to see, all right? I think we often kind of get, especially when we're going through something challenging and something hard, like Peter's prison thing or, or a, a death or a disease or anything like that. When we're going through something hard, I think we can get caught up in this question. Is, God's, is this God's permissive will or is it God's causal will? We want to know why this is happening to us. And listen, this is a me too moment, all right? I remember there have been a couple times where I have been driving around through a different, different seasons of life where I've been driving around and this has been my prayer to God. Have I done something to upset you? Have I made you angry in some way? Please just tell me if you're angry with me, right? You know, because life has been so hard and it's been so difficult where where I have just felt that in that moment. And you know what God usually whispers in my ear? What God usually whispers in my ear in that moment is, I love you, trust me. I love you, trust me. So I'm not sure when it comes to God's causal or permissive will, I'm not really sure that why is the best question, right? Because, and here's why, right? Here's why, why it's not the, the best question. Is a lot of this causal will stuff, is he permitting it? Is he causing it? What, what exactly is going on with God? A lot of it's in the mind of God alone, right? God knows why he's allowing something. God knows why he's causing something. And so I think a better question than why is what? 
What should I be doing as I navigate life? What should I be doing as I'm trying to kind of navigate this will of, of God thing? What should I be doing? And I want to just encourage you with a couple things because this is far and away, like I said earlier, the number one pastoral question I get is about the will of God. So I just want to encourage you with a couple things from this story. First of all, we talked about this before, trust his provision. Trust his provision. If it's God's will, God will provide. And I think that can be easily accepted when it comes to God's causal will, because the definition of God's causal will is he's kind of doing something and providing something. But even in his permissive will, if he is allowing you to go through something, listen to me, he's not just going to leave you alone. You get that, right? He's not just going to leave you alone. He's going to give you everything you need to deal with what he's allowed you to go through. He's going to provide you power. He's going to provide you resources. He's going to provide you comfort. He's going to provide you encouragement. Right? So trust his provision. He's going to give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. So trust his provision. Trust his power. Trust his power. Um, sometimes when you're going through something tough, and you're trying to figure out, is this God's causal will or his permissive? What, what is this? Sometimes it can be easy to think that God has lost control. Because if God were in control, I wouldn't be in prison. Right? If God were in control, I wouldn't be going through this trial. And I want you to remember that God is always in control and God always has a plan. One of the great New Testament texts teaches it this way. And we know that in all things, God works for the good, for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And listen, this truth is a demonstration of his power. We tend to think of God's causal will as a demonstration of power. That God's like, I'm getting my boy out of jail. And he points and he commands, or I want there to be fish. And he points and he commands, and that that is a huge demonstration of his power. This is equally true that this is also a demonstration of a power where God says, I'm going to take something hard and difficult and, and trying, and I'm going to bring about something good. That is a demonstration of his power. And listen, good things happened as the result of Peter being in prison. God took what Herod meant for evil and used it for good. The gospel moved forward. The church was encouraged. Can you imagine how encouraged the church was when all of this kind of transpired? Um, faith was increased. Good happened. And this is part of the way that God demonstrates his power over Herod, right? Um, it is, is by bringing about good what Herod meant for evil, right? So let's read it again this time together, right? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. I want you to receive that deep. I want you to receive it deep, not just in your mind, but in your heart, that God works all things for the good, that something good is going to come about. When, when God permits something, he always brings about something good. Um, sometimes we don't have the eyes to see it. Sometimes we don't have the heart to see it, but he always does that. Next thing, engage in prayer. Engage in prayer, all right? Um, that God's will, I wish we had time, you know, I don't think you want me to preach for another 45 minutes. So this is, this is a separate sermon. But God's will and prayers of his people seem to be intertwined, 
right? You, you find it um, with this early church praying for Peter that when he was arrested, and this is a big concept, we don't have time to unpack it, but God responds to the prayers of his people. So there's this really interesting kind of uh, thing that is said in James chapter four. Here's what it says. You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Here's the interesting thing. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So James here identifies kind of two problems. One is the person that's not asking God at all, not praying at all, that we need to pray about these situations that we're facing. When it comes to God's permissive or causal will, when we're going through trials, we, we need to pray. God responds to the prayers of his people. But the second th kind of thing he, he identifies is when we pray with the wrong motives. Um, and so you say, well, how exactly should I pray? Well, the, I'm so glad you asked that because Jesus was asked this very question one time. They're like, Jesus, you seem to know how to pray. How should we pray? And Jesus said this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think this is great. It is praying for God's will to be done. It's praying that we would trust his will, that we would love his will, his permissive will and his causal will and his stated will, that we would just love and trust his will because we love and trust our father. And we know that he has a plan and we know that he's good. This is very much tied to understanding the character of God, that we know he's good, we know he has a plan, we know he's gonna uh, bring about good, and so we trust him. I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, but um, angels don't spend a lot of time being stressed about, about life because they have seen the greatness and the glory of God. What the Bible says about angels is that they long they long to see what God is going to do, how God is going to exercise his will. And I want less stressing about God's will and more longing about God's will, right? And the way that you get to that place is by understanding his character and trusting his character and praying the words of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I'm praying for your will. I'm praying that not, not just that your will would be done, I'm praying that I would love your will, that I would appreciate your will, and that I would trust uh, your, your will. So the angels long to see what God's will is going to be. And that's how I want to be too. Not where I'm like questioning it, but I'm longing for it. The last thing I want to say to you is about perseverance. And you may have noticed that all of these points started with the letter P, because I am finally a real preacher. All right? Um, <laughs> Perseverance, I never do that. I, I just, I was like laying these out. I'm like, all oh, these start with P, I'm awesome. All right, so um, <laughs> perseverance is an attribute that says, um, I am going to stay faithful even when I don't understand. Even when I don't understand God's will, even when I don't agree with God's will, it's like, well, I wouldn't do it that way if I were God. God appreciates your opinion, but he's God, right? So that, that even when I don't understand it, even when I don't agree with it, I am going to choose to trust God because I understand he has a perspective I don't have. I understand that he has plans that I don't see. I understand that his way is going to unfold and it's going to be good. So I want to show you an example from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, from Luke 22. 
as we get ready to close. It says, Jesus went out uh, as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. And reaching to the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. And here was his prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And I think Jesus is providing us a powerful example here. Um, God, I kind of have an opinion here. I'd like to be healed of this disease. I'd like to see this relationship restored. I'd, I'd like to see this thing happen, whatever it is. God, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to state my opinion to you of what I think should happen. But yet, not my will, but yours be done. And I think this is a good example for us of how to pray. State your opinion to God. He's your father. He wants to hear it. Most of the time, we want to hear our kids' opinions. Sometimes we don't, but most of the time we do, right? So we state our opinion, but we always followed up with, not, not my will, yours be done. Because I understand I have a human perspective. I understand I don't have an eternal perspective. I've got a human perspective. So God, I want to trust you. And look what happens next. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is demonstrating for us here great perseverance. That even when I don't understand, even when I have a will that is maybe a little bit different from the Father's, although um, Jesus' prayer was that God's will would be done, even, even when I don't know what he's doing, um, and, and when I'm unsure, I'm going to be faithful. And I'm, I'm going to follow God's will. I'm going to do what his will is. And it just flows from this certainty about the Father, that he's good, he has a plan, and I trust him. Years later, the writer of Hebrews would say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus prayed. Uh, that if there's any other way, could, could it be done? Jesus kind of stated, man, if there's any other way, could it be done? And he ended up going to the cross. God's will uh, was, was seen all the way through. He ended up going to the cross. And as a result of him going to the cross, you and I receive salvation. I don't know what's at stake in your scenario. I don't know what's at stake with your perseverance. But I know that God is faithful. And I know that something amazing always happens when God's people persevere. So I just came to say that to you this morning. Don't give up. Persevere. Whatever trial that you're facing, persevere. It doesn't really matter if it's God's causal will or God's permissive will. What we are called to do is faithfulness. We're called to faithfulness. We're called to persevere. And God's will will be done, and we will be absolutely blown away by what happens. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your will. And Lord, we are uh, fully aware that a lot of this stuff is in your mind alone about why you permit something, why you cause something. It's, it's in your mind alone. And some of it we may never know, but that's okay because our role is faithfulness. 
And so we want to be faithful to you and to your will like Jesus was. I so appreciate that prayer. If there's any other way, but not my will, not my will, but yours. I want that to be my prayer in every season of life. When good things are happening and, 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 and tough things are happening, I want to be like Jesus. Say, so, man, this is what I would like, Lord. This is what I'd like. But what I want even more than that is your will. So I want to learn to trust it. But even more than trusting your will, I want to learn to love it. And that is a different stratosphere than I am currently at. And I understand that, Lord. But please help me. Please help us to love, appreciate, submit to, and follow your will, whatever it is, for your name and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together. And it's a celebration of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It's a celebration of, of this prayer that Jesus prayed that, man, if there's any other way, but not my will be done, but yours, yours be done. And Jesus went to that cross. He died. Three days later, he was resurrected, and he brought salvation and power and peace to his people. God's will ended up accomplishing this amazing and incredible thing. And we celebrate this every single Sunday to remind ourselves, yes, of the salvation story, but to also remind ourselves that God's will is really good. And, it, and, and results in really good things. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Um, and so we're gonna pass out uh, the communion trays. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has bread representing Jesus' body. The other has uh, some juice representing his blood. And this is an opportunity for us to just kind of, it's called communion, to communion with God, to talk to him, to thank him for Jesus and for his sacrifice. And then I'll come back up in a minute and we'll receive them together. We'll receive the emblems together um, uh, after they're all passed out.